that's the music Val does not know, but it's Saturday Night's <laughs> All Right for a Fight by Elton John. And since most of these fights take place on Saturday night, I thought that would be slightly apropos for it. I am your host, Soft Weekly, and with me always is Val Duar. Val, how's it going tonight? It's going, you know, just getting ready for a weekend full of fights. All right, uh, what do you think about this card? It's not the most highly, uh, it's not a big card, really. I mean, it's a decent no. card, but it's it's not a great card. I'm not, just overall, I've never really liked Gastelum because he was kind of a, before he moved up a weight class, he was a guy that could never make weight. He, yeah. he seems to do better in the new division, <clears throat> but for whatever reason, I've just never been really impressed with the guy. He He can be a fun fighter, but... If he could get his shit together, like mentally and actually slim down, he would be like a really strong welterweight because he's a, he's a tiny middleweight. He's just fat, <laughs> right, right, right. But I mean, I'll always just respect him just because he put on one of the best fights ever. Him and Izzy, that's one of the best modern fights. Yeah, probably going to be a Hall of Fame fight one day. All right, what we'll get into first is uh, let's talk about how we did last week. How did we do? Yeah, so, okay, so we had uh, six bets last week. First off was Luis Saldana. Uh, he was a minus 130 favorite. He got it done for one unit. That's uh, plus 0. .77 units. Uh, then we had Jack Shore. was my first two-unit pick. He was minus 165, so that's plus 1.21 units. Um, then we had John McDessie as my big underdog pick. Um, and he, he he looked really great, just outpointed. Uh, he did look Bahamandes. very good. Very good. Yeah, that was, Surprised that wasn't fight of the night, honestly. And and Bahamandes had like six inches on him and uh, d- missed weight also. Every advantage in the book. And McDessey still won. So that's one unit plus a 1.7 units. Then Joe Selecki, um, kind of boring fight, but he got it done. Two units. Uh, we, I wagered, so plus 0.91 units. And then uh, with a half unit on Mackenzie Dern as a value play, she got it done with the first round submission. for uh, That was plus 122 odds, so plus... 0.61 units, and then <clears throat> I had Vittori Holland over 2.5 uh, rounds at minus 160 for two units, and so we got plus 1.25 units as that went the distance. Vittori won an easy decision. So all in all, six bets plus 6.45 units on the week. If you're you know $100 better, that's $645. There you go. Or if you're a um, smaller pocket, if you would have wagered 10 on all that, you would have made 64 and change. Yep. So it was a good week. It was a good first <clears throat> week was. for us. Definitely a great way to start. All right. Um, now we're going to start out tonight. We're still working on the format of the show, but you got an interesting uh, Bellator bet you'd like to discuss with us tonight. Yes, I do. So on the Bellator card, so, okay, so for anyone who doesn't pay attention to Bellator, which is a lot of people, fairly, because Bellator's shit. I mean, they have the second best fighters in the world, but Scott Coker sucks and he makes terrible fights. Yeah. So every favorite almost always wins Bellator, especially the big favorites. You know, over minus 200, you're pretty much guaranteed to win in Bellator. I mean, and, and a lot of their favorites are like minus 1,000, minus 800, whatever. Um, I like to do parlays with former UFC fighters. Like last week, I did Kat Zingano, Liz Carmouche parlay. That hit the week before that. I did uh, Patricio Pitbull um, with Umar Nurm- uh, Usman Nurmagomedov, Khabib's cousin, 
and Magomed Magomedov, the only person to have a win over Peter Jan for a big parlay. Both of those hit. So, um, just yeah, for fun, we're doing one here. That's Vadim, which is Vadim Nemkov in the main event against Phil Davis. Vadim Nemkov uh, knocked out Ryan Bader to take the the, the Bellator light heavyweight title from him last year. Um, he's really talented. The second best pound for pound fighter in Bellator and third best is a long way off. Him and Pitbull are the only two talents in Bellator that I really, really rate. Um, he beat Phil Davis once. It was a split decision, but that was a couple years ago and he has leveled up since then. Uh, Phil Davis is, I don't think he's going to be able to hold him down. I feel like, uh, I feel like Phil Davis has been a guy that's been on a slow downhill roll for a long time. Anytime he beats just enough people to kind of stay relevant, but anytime he faces real competition, he's just not there. You know who else that describes is every, every former UFC fighter in Bellator. Right, in Bellator, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so in the different areas, obviously Vadim Nemkov is, well, he's first off, he's the newest guy to be described as Fedor's protege, which I don't put too much stock in, but he's an actual young fight. Like he didn't just leave the UFC when he got old, like everyone else in the light heavyweight tournament almost. Um, that, like Corey Anderson, who's also on this card. That's the, uh, the weird juxtaposition of Bellator is there are guys hoping to get to the UFC and guys that have left the UFC. You know what I mean? You got yeah. guys on the way up and guys on the way down. The one exception to that may be Patricia, you know, Pitbull. He, yeah. he, he seems to stay there. He likes being the champ there. I'm certain he could go to the UFC if he wanted to. 100%. Um, yeah, so... What I'm doing this week is uh, – well, so Vadim Nemkov is honestly worth betting straight. He's minus 190 is the best you can get him, which I thought I, – when I – like then the light heavyweight tournament was announced, I thought he would be more like minus 270, th- minus 300. Yeah, I see him at 188 on FanDuel right now. So, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that's what I, I wish I had FanDuel in my state. That's, that's, supposed, that's supposed to be coming soon. But, yeah, I got him on a bet, bet online at minus 195. And I have him in a parlay with Julia Budd, former UFC title challenger. Uh, not nothing, nothing to write home about in the UFC, obviously, as the women's divisions are. But that's a safe heavy. bet in Bellator, yeah. as you mentioned, because she is a huge yeah. favorite. Yeah, so I have um, her at oh, shoot. What are the parlay odds on that? It, it's it's like it's like minus one eighty, something around there. I think. I placed the bet a couple of days ago. The, the, Julia Bud's like a minus twelve hundred favorite, so yeah, just adds a little bit of value. I mean, and uh, honestly, some of these a lot of the time I'll do like a small parlay with every big big favorite on the card that I've looked into enough. Like, um, which yeah, is, Julia Mowry, yeah, which is safe. Yeah, Julia Bud, Steve Mowry. Yeah, and usually that'd be a terrible strategy to go in just in general, like in the UFC, but. This is Bellator, so that's what works. Um, so yeah, I just I'm not recommending any unit size or making it official. Just fun way to start off. That that's a fun fun little play. There yeah. there are some good fights on this yeah. card. Pedro Carvalho, he's decent. Yeah. So Maori um, is the other one on your parlay, right? That's what I would have picked too, like a safe little parlay. Yeah, yeah. Hit my Marley and Anglicus would be it if, if I did. My, I, I put one parlay of Bud and Nemkov, but I'll probably do another one with more favorites. 
once I look further into the favorites, uh, Mads Brunel is one that I'm looking into. He's an interesting fighter. And then uh, Paul Daly against Saba Hamasi, former UFC guy. All right, so we'll get in. Yeah. We'll get into the UFC card. This is on Saturday night. Saturday night's all right for a fight. Um, <laughs> like I said, this card isn't that impressive. It, it's got... It's got a little bit of name recognition, but none of them are, besides like, besides the main event, you know, I don't think yeah. there's too much stuff here otherwise that is like really like, oh, you know, um, big names that call out and say, I want to see that. Yeah. Now there's some good fights on the card, but it, it's not a great card. And this is why it's not a pay-per-view. Yeah. It's on ESPN. Yeah. So yeah, definitely the main event is the only one that casuals will look at and be like oh this is nice and and even hardcores will look at this card and be like yeah this this is kind of shit there's like so in my opinion there's four good fights and we'll we'll get into them the prelims especially are kind of dog shit but we'll we'll go through them uh we'll go through the ones that i don't care about and that i don't have a bet on pretty quickly yeah we'll, we'll mention them all and if if there's nothing to see here we'll just say that as well and mention the fight and move along yep so we'll start right at the bottom. These may be – I've got the – hold on. I've got the other thing up. I can switch back and look at the odds. Wait. This, all right. Uh, what's the first fight of the night? Is that Gravely and Burchak? Yeah, Gravely and Burchak. So there's – yeah. Um, this is it's a, it's a low-level fight. I mean, it's the first fight on the prelims. So that's to be expected. Uh, Burchak is – uh, have, I mean, Gravely is a heavy, heavy favorite, and that's fair. I mean, the odds are just about fair. Burchak sucks, but Gravely isn't that good either. It's, it's a, one of those classic dogger pass situations, and Burchak right. sucks, so I'm not, I'm not taking the dog. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. at that. We're gonna, um, we'll figure it out since you mentioned it. I'm gonna have a segment somewhere coming up. I might, uh, pull this out in, in the edit, but, uh, we're gonna have a uh, a segment called like uh, "Walking the Dog" or "Dog Will Hunt," you know, where we pick a dog every time that we think is a good value. But okay. we'll figure it out. Yeah. All right. The next one is Farron and Nunez. Now, this isn't the real Nunez. No, that's important is... to mention. This is not the real Nunez. Yeah, Josanne Nunez. I think she yeah she's making her UFC debut. She came from random brazil organization i i couldn't even find tape on her like no matter where i looked there's yeah there's there's nothing here nothing to see here right i can't In, fi- i can't figure out yeah. why uh why the odds are what they are because uh i think that feels like all name recognition alone maybe yeah i i have no i have no clue i i, I just i couldn't find anything on either of these women or on, on Nunez. Fan, there's a little bit out there, but yeah. yeah. It, it's a don't care and no value. I mean, Farron lost to the last two uh, title challengers at Featherweight, women's Featherweight, Felicia Spencer and Megan Anderson in the first round. So she's one of like the six Featherweights in the UFC. Uh, and that's all I know about her. Right. And I can't figure out why. Uh... I really can't figure out why Nunez is, uh, her ranking is based out, uh, uh, women in Brazil. And, uh, Farron has a worldwide ranking. So yeah, well, I, it, it, Topology's ranking is just, Nunez is just coming off the regional scene. So, yeah, don't, I don't put too much stock in them. Um, but 
She's a light. Yeah, she's a fight. light favorite, and I can't figure that out. But yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't touch this fight at all. Maybe she. Maybe she's as good as uh, the name suggests, but we'll see. I don't know. All right, now yeah. here here's another one: Hubbard and Bush. You got a regional this, guy. Is this Bush's first UFC fight? Um. Let me check on that. Yeah, yeah, he came. He's coming off of LFA. Yeah. So this this is short notice. Uh, Hubbard was supposed to fight. Um, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Nathan or Na- I don't know how you say it. It's Nathan, but without the H. Nathan Levy, but he pulled out like yesterday. So Dakota Bush is a short notice replacement. I don't. I was taping other stuff. Don't know anything about him either. All okay. Well, I know one thing about him, and that is he is the worst. Nickname or the best, depending on how you look at it, nickname in UFC <laughs> history, and that's Harry. So his name is Dakota Harry Bush. Oh yeah, that's pretty funny, actually. It's funny. I don't. <laughs> it sounds more like a porn star than a UFC fighter. But um, Austin Hubbard's pretty good. I mean, I, I I just don't know anything about Dakota Bush. Austin Hubbard's a decent favorite. Which makes sense, right? I I wouldn't bet this fight either, but it is uh, one I'd I'd like. I'll be interested in watching because uh, when you get yeah. some of these guys off the regional scene, you never know. You know, they just haven't had a chance yeah. to get their foot in the door, and the For odds sure. aren't explosive, explosively crazy against him. You know, he's, yeah, he's yeah. obviously the dog, but they're not way out of control. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll just see. I, I, I it was too short a notice. I don't know anything about him. Um, Austin Hubbard's good, not great. We'll see. Okay, now this one, this one, this fight will be interesting here. Yes, this is Shura where we start getting Brinsky. into yep. higher level guys. I mean, not top level, but you know, around the top twenty five of their division. You know, Gerald Mearshart's been a gatekeeper for the longest time. I mean, he like if you look at his record, he has the, all the guys he's lost to are in or around that top fifteen. I mean, you have Thiago Santos, um, Jack Hermanson. Uh, Thiago Santos obviously fought for the title. Hermanson ranked Holland ranked, which that was a split decision lost. And there's a very real argument for Mearshart beating Holland, but it sounds that sounds better than it is. It's just another sign of Holland's dog shit takedown defense. Then a uh, split decision lost to Eric Anders, who's pretty good he's on the cusp of top 15 he's like in that top 20 area Ian Heinish who's ranked like number 12 in the world and then Hamzat Chemaev who obviously the hottest prospect to have COVID right now and when you look at a guy like him um uh, his record is 31 and 14 yeah now and like you said he's lost to some top level competition but you're talking about a guy that's had 45 professional MMA fights that you know he's he's a gamer he definitely sure. is. And it, and he gets disrespected, I feel like. So uh, these odds could be much better. Like, he could be a favorite if not for that Chimaev fight. Because Chimaev knocked him out one punch in 17 seconds. And that made Mearshart look really bad when he really isn't that bad. He's he's a good he's a good gatekeeper. I mean, that's that's been his role for a while. Like, you look at his wins. They're against fringe guys, too. Like their drawn win, the shortest middleweight in UFC history, Trevin Giles, who's pretty decent, Oscar Piotta, decent, um, then a bunch of no names before that. 
So he has okay wins, and his losses are only to, you know, top 20 guys. Right. And the definition of a gatekeeper. The odds reflect that on this fight. You know, they're all hovering yeah. around plus 110, minus 128, 130, yeah. or something like that. You know, the odds reflect um, that in this fight. But uh, Bartosz Fabinski, he has re- a really, really strong judo background, and that's why he's the favorite in this because he's been able to just hold people down. He's uh, three and two in the UFC. Interesting thing about that is both of those losses came by first round uh, submission. All in all, three of his wins came by uh, unanimous decision. Just him holding people down the whole fight because his striking isn't anything great he mostly uses it to get into range you know kind of right. like vittori yep. vittorial throw volume not very technically like they both strike from their shoulders instead of their hips so it's not the most powerful but it's effective enough to get them into range right you up against the fence and just grind to, you down to the just ground just trying to get inside the circle so they can grab a leg yeah. or get a hold of you yeah right. exactly uh, it's, um, it's worth noting that uh, the odds on Fabinski have been going up, so the money is moving more in his favor, but it's still not real far apart, really. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it opened like minus 130, and it's still there on some sites, but now it's some sites it's up at like minus 135, 138. Yeah, on uh, five um, dimes, he opened at minus 150, and now he's up to minus 130. Oh, wow. But on, uh, let's see, let's check another one. Uh, Sports International, he opened at 150. Now he's at 130. Uh, um, Sportsbook, he was at 135. And then it moved way down to like 145, and it's back up to 135. So, Fabinski, he also, there's one of his wins. His uh, last win was against Darren Stewart right at the start of COVID, which he was scheduled to fight in the UFC against Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, but that got canceled because of COVID. And so for a second, I was like, wait, he was, he was three and one in the UFC. And then he fought in cage warriors. Did he get cut for boring decisions? But that wasn't the case. It was just COVID messed things up. So he went and fought Darren Stewart in uh cage warriors and Darren Stewart's another guy who went to split decision with Kevin Holland. Who's a pretty good top 25 middleweight in the UFC. So that, that even though it wasn't in the UFC, I, I that's a UFC level win, you know. Um, and in that fight, in pretty much all his fights, he gets you down, and then he doesn't try to pass your guard that much. He's content to hold you down and then just ground and pound you just enough to not get stood up um, from your closed guard. Um, if is it his wins are almost all by decision he has a couple from ground and pound or doctor stoppages but mostly decision all all in all his high level wins are by decision um but but yeah the 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 submissions are a threat against him as we see with michelle prezeris getting him one minute in with a guillotine choke and andre muniz muniz getting him uh two and a half minutes in with an arm bar in his last fight but so after the Prezeris fight, I saw in his uh, Darren Stewart fight, he was much more aware of the guillotine choke. He actually uh, Stewart locked up a guillotine, but he made sure to elevate. Uh, uh, Fabinski made sure to elevate his hips past the guard 
and actually almost turned it into a Von Flu choke that Stewart like released just in time. He mm-hmm. it, it looked for a second like the Von Flu was going to pull off, which it, it's the, obviously very rare. It's the curse of the wrestler. Like they get down and they know how to hold someone down, and they go for the ground and pound, which many of them have been very successful at. But they're not really skilled at that on the ground yeah. grappling, and BJJ guys can catch them all the time. Yeah. And yeah, both of these two guys who have beat him are Brazilians and uh yeah, high level grapplers. Um But but I, I think I, I do think he has enough to get the takedowns versus Mearshart. It's then what'll happen on the ground. I mean Mearshart has several submissions on his record, but they're not against guys that are to, to the level with judo or wrestling that Fabinski is and Fabinski has that Polish power. Just have to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, so like guys, Trevin Giles, Oscar Piotta, Darren Wynn, those are, those are Mearshart's best wins, um, by submission. And only really, uh, Trevin Giles was from the bottom. That was a guillotine. The other two both were naked chokes. So he's not as much of a threat from the bottom. I think to defeat Fabinski, you have to have a really, really active guard because he, He's not one of those guys who's going to overextend in his ground and pound. And, you know, like when guys go too hard in the ground and pound, they'll get reversed or, you know, the guy will fight his way out, get the butterfly guard, push you off, get right. up. Or if you try to pass guard and, you, you know, you don't hold them down, same thing will happen. But Fabinski, he has really, really good, consistent top pressure. I mean, against Darren Stewart, who's a really, really strong guy, like, really strong at, at middleweight. He he was able to hold him down effectively for, I think his control time was upwards of 10 minutes in a 15 minute fight. Um, oh, okay. Wait. So this is the, this is the first, uh, decent fight on the card with guys yeah. that we know who they are and whatever, but is there any value here? Is it worth betting? Cause I don't see it to be, I couldn't. So, I, I do think Fabinski is going to get the decision win because just because of that relentless top pressure. Mirsh, I was hope if not for that Chimaev loss, I think I could we could have gotten this at a much better price, which annoys me. Like I think Mirshart could have been a minus. It could have been flipped. Mirshart could have been a minus one thirty favorite, and Fabinski is a slight underdog. But that Chimaev loss made him look really bad, which he isn't. But he doesn't have the takedown defense to. Uh, to stop Fabinski, I don't think. All right, he, so so, uh, so we're early in the card. Have, we don't want to run too long. Yeah, are we going to put Val Bucks on yeah. this? Yeah, so I'm going with Fabinski at minus 130 for half a unit just because of that uh, potential submission threat in Fabinski's uh, past uh, susceptibility to submissions is scary right. enough making it one unit. But I do think... A uh, decision win is very likely for Fabinski here. So a half unit on Fabinski. Yeah. All right. Let me see. Now the next one is here's another uh, regional player coming up to the show. Yes. Lupi uh, Lupita Godinez. Yeah, Godinez versus Pena. Yeah, so Godinez, she has really good striking for I'll just say it like it is for someone in women's MMA. Her, her distance management 
is better than a lot of what you see when you see girls throwing jabs from like five feet away that are never going to hit. She gets in and out really well. Um, she's she's really good with combos. Like she's a super clean boxer, and she almost never just throws one strike. Her hands are really fast. She's able to go hard with pressure on the front foot, um, but also to counter when her opponents come at her. And that's she she did that for the whole fight to win the LFA title in her only LFA fight because right after that she got called up to the UFC. Um, especially her jab, she uses really well. She'll faint it to you know to get her opponent kind of off guard or to read them and then really come in usually with a one two sometimes throwing hooks right uh, and and usually. she's she's 5 and 0 oh, which is impressive but it's on regional circuit so there's really not a lot to um look at her either you know what i mean uh, yeah, for the most I, part i mean maybe what are two of her fights on tape or whatever you can look at and see yeah yeah but the thing is, that last fight against uh, Vanessa Demopoulos, who was the LFA champ before Godinez stormed through her. I mean, Godinez looked levels above Demopoulos in that fight. And five fight th- these lower records aren't that unusual for women coming into the UFC. I mean, like, when Rose Namajunas debuted in the UFC, she was like, Four and zero, I think, or three and zero, even. Yeah, well, so there's not a, a deep field these. for them to fight in exactly. those regional organizations. Exactly. Um, yeah, and so, uh, uh, and even in amateur, she fought Sam Hughes twice. Who Sam Hughes was the girl that uh, Vanessa Demopoulos lost the LFA title to before uh, Demopoulos lost it to Godinez. So it shows that. I mean, it's obviously not UFC-level competition, but it is slightly better than regional. I mean, LFA is like a third-tier organization. Um, It shows that she has what it takes to beat these girls convincingly. My only worry with her is that she kind of coasted for the the championship rounds against Demopolis because she was up. She was up. uh, She had a 10-8 round and uh, two 10-9 rounds, so she was up by three or four points on the judges' scorecards in that. And then she just coasted. She she was never in danger of losing, really. And she still... She didn't look gassed or anything. It just must have just been a mental thing. Like, her cardio looked really good. She wasn't even sitting on the stool between rounds. She was breathing through her nose still. She's obviously excellent, con- excellently conditioned. Um. So, yeah, just... But in a three-round fight, that coasting won't worry me as much. Uh, her takedown defense. I mean, Jessica Penne has dog shit striking. If here, let me pull up a stat that I have from <laughs> the guy I shouted out a lot last week. Numbers MMA. He said he uh, put this out in his weekly newsletter, which I'd encourage everyone to check out. Jessica Penne is one of the least efficient strikers in UFC history. There are 816 fighters in UFC history with at least 300 significant strike attempts and at least 300 significant strikes faced. Penne ranks. 794th out of 816 in strike efficiency versus expectation, which is, that's more advanced analytics stuff. I'm not going to go too deep into what it means, but basically it means she can't strike for shit. She has to get on top of you and get your back, choke you out or hold you down. Right. And Um, and Lupita showed great takedown defense against Demopolis, who is a similar type of fighter who doesn't have great striking, but yeah, and, and I'll always get you down and look for the submission. 
And the money is all on Lupita. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, Penne, Penne also had an issue where she had she had the, she so she had the John Jones issue before John Jones the tainted supplements. Yes, quote unquote pulsing and all that. But they're like, yeah, well, you're not John Jones, so we're not going to protect you. Two year suspension. So she's been out for a while. But before she was out, she she was on a three fight losing streak. Um, to Joanna and Jessica Andrade were two of them, which is fair because they're really good. But then yeah, Danielle those... Taylor, who's not <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So her only really path to victory here is to get Lupita down. But Lupita's takedown offense is great. She even though she's throwing strikes a lot, she has high, high volume. She's not ever overextending herself. She's able to get her hands back in time and then uh, get dig under hooks and just or a wizard and just keep the fight standing. She, she she only got taken down once in the uh, LFA champ, five round LFA uh, championship fight, and she was able to reverse it and get on top after 20, 30 seconds spent on her back, which shows that her BJJ is there if she needs to use it. All right, well, Um, here we go then. I feel like there's some money to be made on this fight. So there is, but I I am not the type to lay minus 275 type of juice. So, but I like Lupita here in a parlay, so we'll get to that later. All right. And for what people that are just uh, getting into the betting and want to figure it out, that means he's go- he would have to lay almost three units to make one. And that's yeah. always a risky bet. You don't necessarily want to do that, even though it looks good, unless you know something. Yeah, definitely. So, actually, let's just skip ahead. We're only skipping ahead one fight to, to get to the one that's closing out the parlay. Um, and that's, uh, Justine Kish versus Cortez, Cortez uh, Tracy right. Cortez. Um, so Justine Kish, she, I feel bad for her cause she'll forever be known as the woman who shit herself. Yes, in she the will. Ring. <laughs> yeah. Again, against, uh, what was that? Was that against Ashley Yoder? Oh no, that was just Fleece Herrig. Fleece yeah. Herrig in the Fleece Herrig fight, which she lost. Um, she's one in three in her last three, um, losing to Sabina Mazu, who's okay for naked choke. Jiang Kim, who she's 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 losing to mediocre competition, but that happens all the time in women's MMA, especially these uh higher weight divisions, like one twenty five, one thirty five. I mean really only one fifteen is the only strong one where right. you can get cut if you have like a a record like uh like Justine Kish has of one and three in her last three. Um, but so the yeah, main she, thing here she's is that seven, she's seven and three overall and yeah. she's, she's ranked 79th worldwide, which in, in women's MMA in in any division, 79th is pretty near the bottom. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's just not good, but the main thing that stands out to me here is her takedown defense. Um, she has a 55% takedown defense ratio, which that's big because uh, Tracy Cortez it has high level, like seriously high level grappling. She averages three takedowns per 15 minutes in the UFC in her four, uh, three UFC fights, uh, plus her one Invicta fight, which her Invicta fight was against Aaron Blanchfield, who has also now made her way over to the UFC. So that's four UFC opponents who she's beaten all by decision 
Um, she she beat Maria Agapo- Agapova, who had a lot of hype at one point last year uh, on the Contender Series. So that's a good win for her right there. Uh, she got four takedowns on Agapova, who Agapova is one of those um, old. She's from one of those old Soviet Union countries. I don't remember which one. One of the Menestans, I think. But they over there, obviously, they all have good judo and wrestling. Um, now this so is yeah. This is yeah. being fought at 125, and Cortez's ranking as number 20 in the world is at 135. Yeah. So she's going to be big at 125. Definitely, definitely. Um, and that's one thing I like. I mean, Justine Kish, yeah, is ranked number – if we're just looking at the rankings, which you can't put too much stock in it, but Tracy Cortez has a lot of hype around her. She's – She's uh she's not undefeated, she, but she, her only loss was in her very first pro, uh, pro fight, and since then she's gone on a seven fight win streak. So right, but that's mostly she's a hot in, prospect, and that's mostly in one thirty five, and she's dropping yeah. down. So she should yeah, be yeah. she should be giant in the one twenty five division. She should be, and and I think she definitely has what it takes to control Justine Kish, who hasn't who has been controlled a lot in her time in the UFC by Sabina Mazo, who. Sabina Mazo actually compares favorably to Tracy Cortez. They they both uh, do similar things as far as taking you down, wearing on you, trying to take your back, um, just beating on you with not you know huge strikes that you get from like a Curtis Blades, obviously because they're in uh, one thirty five, one twenty five, and they're girls. Yeah, <laughs> but but she'll you know she'll uh, just get on your back or get in mount half guard and yeah, just we have beat to, on you a little to open up your neck and then try to sink in a choke. And we and have to, re- we feet. have to remember it's relative to as much as uh yeah. women's like uh, a woman's elbow might not be as strong. I don't think a woman's chin is as strong either. So there's a, for sure there's a comparison to be made. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I think Tracy Cortez, it, it's this, it's the same story. She's just, a better fighter and she has the it's the same story as Godinez. Godinez has the ability to keep it standing and is a much better striker. Tracy Cortez has the ability to get this to the ground based on her three takedowns per fight and uh just wearing on her opponents and Justine Kish's abysmal takedown defense and abil- and her she her proven ability to get controlled on the ground. Um, so yeah, that is going to close out that parlay. So it's a, uh, Tracy Cortez plus Lupi Lupita Godinez parlay for one unit at minus 116 odds because both of these women are, if you want five dimes anyway, they're minus 275. So yeah, parlaying them comes out to minus 116. All right. There you go. Parlay bet. I think I would take that. I didn't, that's a, uh, that's in this, an astute um, observation of what's available because I would take that bet, but I didn't even look into that parlay. But that is an astute bet. Do you want to yeah. go back to Espino yes. and Romanov? Yes, this is one I'm excited for. All right, let's do it. Yeah, because these guys are very closely ranked, and it's heavyweight, and heavyweight is always exciting. Uh, Romanov is thirteen and zero. Espino is ten and one. Both of them yeah. have dynamite in their hands. They do, but their wrestling is real. So th- that's why this is interesting because it's two great grapplers going up against each other. Romanov was a champion over in ACA in uh in Russia. Um, his nickname's King Kong because 
No, sorry, not an ACA, an Eagles Fighting Championship. That's a uh, Khabib's right. Yeah, that's the new yeah. uh, fight yeah. championship. <clears throat> yeah, he was a, he was a champ there, undefeated, and then comes into the UFC, gets two straight submissions against. I mean, heavyweight's a weak division, but it was against relatively decent competition for the division. Um, and he just looked dominant. I mean, so the one last year, I remembered this fight because it was literally just, you know, how you frame, put your forearm, forearm into someone else's face to keep their head in the place where you can control them or push them off you. Right. He was on top of this guy, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. And he did that except for Rogerio de Lima couldn't get the forearm off of his neck and had to tap to a forearm choke which isn't even a really a real yeah. choke it's just put, no. he just put his forearm into his throat until he couldn't breathe that's just and extreme so that was power one of the, extreme that was power. one of the most yeah exactly it's power and it's one of the most pathetic ways to go out i'm this guy rogerio de lima and he rogerio de lima isn't doesn't have a bad record i mean he has he's, he's basically been trading wins and losses for a while um which that that's common for heavyweights in the ufc uh, but it just it just shows Romanov has really really fun wrestling. Um, he he's also a pretty good kicker. His punches aren't anything to write home about, but his kicks are. He has really his body kicks will slap you. He he takes you down, passes your guard, um, and it just imposes his will on you. But that's the same with Espino. The difference being Espino is more. He has wrestling, but he also has BJJ. Um, he's one of the few Spanish fighters in the UFC. Um, it's interesting to see it on the rise in some of these European countries that didn't allow it for a long time. Um, but he was an amateur champion in Spain, undefeated. Then he went to Senegal, I believe it was, and he was the first ever non-Senegalese native to win in their Senegalese wrestling, which is kind of like judo, as I understand, or not judo, sumo wrestling, as I understand it. Um, oh yeah, I know what but, you're talking about. That kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he also has he also has I think he has better hands than Romanov. I've I've seen Romanov struggle as far as striking with a 205er in Eagle FC, although he he was able to take him down and ground and pound him. But he like um. Espino on the Ultimate Fighter, he dropped Maurice Green with a just a straight right, bam. That's that's um, what that's what I find interesting about both these guys is, like you said, uh, well, I said they got dynamite, and I believe they do because they both hit really hard enough that it'll almost force you to try and wrestle with them, which is their strong suit. You know, what I mean, yeah. they, they both they both uh, Romanov with his kicks and Espino with his hands, they can. You know, they can connect and and make you rethink your game plan. Yeah. It's just it's just a really fun – it's an interesting matchup. A lot of time you'll see wrestler versus striker matchups. And in heavyweight, there isn't as many great wrestlers. I mean, think about great wrestlers at heavyweight. You got what? Right now, it's just pretty much just Curtis Blades since DC retired. There's not much. At, and, and uh, I mean, Alexi Olenek is on his way out, and he was great with it in his day, but there's not many. But so here you have just a really fun one of two guys matching up. Uh, I think the odds should be around evens because I think Romanov has better wrestling, but Espino has better hands and has the BJJ to where he can do more than Romanov is used to if he gets taken down. But the odds are 
too close for me to have yeah, a play. I just think it's a really fun around fight. like uh, 117 and uh, plus 117 and, uh, you know, minus 130. The biggest one yeah. I see is minus 150, but uh, 140 a few times across. It's, it's a close yeah. fight. I would not put any money on this fight. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna sit back and enjoy it. There are it is interesting to me that the submission prop odds are so high. Like Espino by submission is plus four hundred and Romanov by a submission is plus three eighty. If you wanna take uh, a bet, I'd suggest looking there. But uh yeah, I'm passing I it's think, just I think too if, close to call. It's, a, it's a true coin toss for me. Yeah, if Espino lands a couple of good punches, then the fight shifts his way big time. But if Romanov lands a few wide-open body kicks, then, you know what I mean? Because they are like tree trunks coming right into your liver. Yeah, they, they really are. It is, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a fun wrestling match, which we don't see much of at heavyweight. Yeah. It, two guys it, trying to knock each other's blocks off. That fight, I wouldn't bet on it, and it will be a wrestling match, but it's going to be decided on how the striking goes. I don't think there's going to be any kind of guy coming in and taking a quick, clean takedown. You know yeah, what I mean? it, it, there's going to be, be a one of those, setup. It, it could be one of those like like Demian Maya versus Ben Askren where they their uh, wrestling and jujitsu just negated each other and they struck for a while. Same with uh, Doroba versus Mackenzie Dern last year. Similar yeah. type of deal. We see the, that happen a lot, but uh, they have better striking than Askren and Maya and, and Dern and Doroba. So even if it does stay standing, it'll be a fun one. But yeah, that's just that's the first fight on the card that I'm look, really looking forward to watching. Right, that'll be a fun fight, but it's hands off if you're trying to make money. Yeah, yeah. All right, that brings us to Malcoon and Al Hassan. This should be a good fight right here. I like this. Yeah, one. it should. These guys, especially Al Hassan, like to th- likes to throw bombs, and you can see that it just by looking at his record. Every single knockout from Al Hassan. Is in every single win from Alhassan is a knockout in the first round. The longest fight that he's won has been four minutes and 21 seconds. Most of them are inside of one minute, like 25 seconds, minute 23, 47 seconds, minute 26 in Bellator. And that's only in his uh, fourth professional fight he was fighting in Bellator. So something to note. Then uh, two more inside of a minute, and he's fighting in the UFC. 53 second knockout. Then he gets. With all those knockouts, he got some higher-level competition. Omar Yakhmedov, who I think he's ranked right now. If not, he was ranked in the past, and he lost a split decision there. Um, then he had two fights against Sabah Hamasi because of a uh, early stoppage. They ran it back again, similar to the Ankalaev-Kutalaba situation, but he was obviously the better fighter. He knocked him out for real, out cold the second time. Um, then Nico Price, who had obviously a lot of hype at one point, knocked out in 43 seconds. In 2018, lately his luck's taken a downturn, though. He's lost two straight. One was a uh, decision to Munir Lazez. um, Munir, I don't know how to say the last name. Munir Lazez, let's say. And then uh, last year he got pretty much his own method turned back on him when Chaos Williams knocked him out in 30 seconds, which was really high profile for Chaos. Shot him up there fighting Michelle Ferreira. Um. This but this fight is, this fight is moving weird on the money line too. Like uh, a lot of people are starting to pick up on Malcoon the dog, which is interesting to me because if you look at Malcoon, 
he has almost no experience in MMA. Yeah, he's only four and one or something, isn't he? Yeah, he's four and one, and all four, all of those four wins came on the regional scene. I mean, we got, yeah, just total. Like one of these is called Wollongong Wars, which I believe is an Australian organization. Oh, um, then one fight in Eternal, which some is some bogan uh, like shit. A, <laughs> yeah, then one fight in Eternal, which is like a a D level D tier organization before being called up to the UFC. He, his background is in boxing. Um, but he doesn't seem to have mastered the, the, the four ounce gloves yet. It's different, uh, because he fought Phil Hawes, which that's a really tough debut, but Phil Hawes doesn't usually go out there and starch people. 18 seconds into a fight, which is exactly what he did to Malkoon. Malkoon backed up right from the get-go, and Phil Hawes took advantage, threw a couple, and then one overhand landed, boom, out cold. Yeah, there's a a huge difference between getting hit with a 12-ounce glove and a 4-ounce glove. Yeah, and if if you're Abdul Razak Hassan looking at that fight, that Phil Hawes fight, that makes you really happy for you to get back on your winning ways because that is what you, you like to do to everyone. He likes to knock people out inside of a minute. And Makun showed he's susceptible to that. Um, Al-Hassan does have concerns. Like, he he can gas really badly because he goes so crazy. He throw, He just throws everything into those punches. It's not like wild, not like Francis Ngannou versus Rosenstrike swinging wildly, but he doesn't hold anything back, you know? So he'll burn himself out early second round right. in the first round if he gets there, which, which may is why be, he relies on that round one knockout. Which may be to an advantage of a fighter like Malkoon because he is a boxer, so he he should theoretically be able to... uh Avoid getting hit more. Than, you know what I mean. That's that's the boxer's uh, big attribute in MMA. Is they're better at not getting hit. They are, but it, it it's hard because Alhassan, even though he likes to go out there and stand and bang, he has a judo background and he'll use it to clinch you up against the fence, push you back there, grinding you a little bit, then separate, have your back to the fence, and knock you out, yeah, which is that, just like Phil Hawes did to Malkoon. He, he is really, although he's coming up from welterweight, uh, I believe his last fight was at welterweight too, so it's not like new that he's coming up. Um, He he is similar size to Malkoon, so uh, there isn't a size that's what I know, was gonna differential say. here. Actually, that, he's, he's bigger. He's taller by an inch. That's what I was going to say, is that's the one big thing is uh, boxers are not used to. Um, I, I told you what I think m- might work in Malkoon's advantage, but the other thing is is uh, you yeah. can rush like with jujitsu and get a clinch and then back away just to get yourself in range. You're never really trying for yeah. the takedown, but... When when I got a hold of you, when I got a body lock on you, when I step away, now you're in range. Yeah, for sure. And and that 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 was Malkoon's problem against uh, Haas in a way. He just backed up and he was against the cage, and he didn't know what to do. He he and it, it seemed like he almost expected those twelve ounce gloves to be there to block because he just put his hands in front of his face 
he wasn't using enough head movement and Haas, you can't, it's much harder to block performance gloves. Obviously, yeah. Haas just went right around him, start, knocked him out cold. Um, and, and that's what Alhassan likes to do to people. So I like Alhassan to get the win here. He's a minus 300, which isn't bettable for me. But his only path to victory is a knockout. All 10 of his wins, like I said, are by knockout in round one. So we're going with a prop here. And that's Abdul Razak Alhassan by TKO slash KO slash DQ. Which um, on Betway minus one twenty five, five dimes minus one thirty five. Uh, uh, okay, bet, yeah, I, that's a bet worth taking. Yeah, yeah, that uh, implied odds on that are slightly above fifty percent. I, I see Al Hassan's winning chances as more like seventy five, eighty percent, and um, his knockout odds are most of that because or knockout the implied odds are most of that because he his his main and only path to victory in the past is by knockout. Um, so yeah, uh, Al Hassan for one unit by knockout at minus uh, 135. Bet, right? And I want to remind our listeners here that uh, we're not telling you what to bet on every fight. What we're telling you is we're looking at the UFC cards and trying to tell you how to make money on these cards. We're not going to bet every fight. We're not going to look for long shots that can't pull through. We're going to find value, and we're going to tell you where we're spending our money. Yeah, because, I mean, sometimes the smartest bet is not to bet at all, especially on cards like this where it's just some of the fights are dog shit. Um, Some of them two coin tosses, some of them favorites too big to go after, but some of them worth going after. It would be bet the line, not the team, or in this case, the fighter. Now, here's here's a fight. I'll always watch this, this guy fight, and I'll always remember in his prime, but I, at this point, I wouldn't bet a nickel on him anymore. Andre Arlovsky versus yes. Jay Sherman. So this one, it's almost like the heavyweight version of the Fabinski versus Mearshart fight. Well, different styles, obviously, because these guys are more strikers. But Arlovsky has become the gatekeeper. Of sorts, not even of sorts. He's become a gatekeeper. I mean, he, if you look at his wins and losses, he beat Tanner Bozer and Philip Linz, kept keeping them out of the top 15. But he lost to Tom Aspinall, allowing him into the top 15. No shame in that, though. Aspinall, I believe, is a future title challenger. Before that, lost to Rosenstrike, now ranked number four, I believe. Before that, beat Ben Rothwell. Before that, lost to Sakai. Um, Abdurakimov. Tuivasa, but beat Struve, Aldini. You see where I'm going with this. You keep right. going down. Losses to Reem, Stipe, Nganu, Tibura. And then you get too far back where he's actually beating good guys like Frank Mir, Travis Brown, Brendan yeah, Shaw. Yeah, if but you look at uh, he's Arlovsky, the definition of a gatekeeper. Arlovsky's record is 30 and 20, and eight of those losses come over the last, you know, several years. You know yeah. what I mean? He's a, yeah, and like I said, he's a legend, you know, he's a Hall of Famer without a doubt. In his prime, he was a beast, but. Yeah. It's it's tough. So for a while, people thought he was chinned. Like, his chin was gone because he got knocked out by Rosenstrike in like 20 seconds. Um, uh, Nganu, Barnett, Reem, Stipe, he went on a four-fight losing streak all by KO. But his chin, even though he lost, it was by rear naked choke last time to Tom Aspinall. His chin really impressed me because Aspinall had him majorly hurt. For a guy with 50 professional fights, his chin impressed me, that is. 
Aspinall had him really hurt in the first round, and Aspinall has serious power, but Arlovsky was able to survive and make it to the second round. Um, there's not much more to say than that. I mean, we know the level Arlovsky's at. Anyone who watches knows what he's at. Former champion, but on the slow decline, fighting because he needs the money. Um, yeah, he's still but, but decent he... enough to beat lower guys that shouldn't be anywhere near the top 15 and it but should, he's going to lose to anyone that is coming close to it and it should be it should be fair to mention well I know it's fair so I'm going to mention it that uh Arlovsky fought in the sport before fighters made real money and he's one of the yeah. guy he's one of the guys that helped make the sport and he you know he never got anywhere near McGregor money or even shit like uh Cerrone money you know yep. what I mean and he is one of the legends of the sport. It's almost kind of sad to watch him at this point because I don't Definitely think he is. should be having to fight. He shouldn't be. It's the same with Alexi Olenek, who, I mean, Olenek's chin is gone. Or at least Arlovsky can still take a punch. Olenek, he has to sub you or he's out of there. Um, but so to the other side, the more, I mean, we know Arlovsky's a known very quantity. I think, Sherman, though, I think Sherman is, is, I think he's on the rise some. I think his stock's he, he going up. He is. So it's hard to gauge him because he had a UFC run back in 2016. He lost, uh, what is it? He lost five out of his seven fights. His only wins were against guys who are not UFC level and were cut pretty quickly. Lost to Walt Harris and Justin Ledet, Ashimil Abdurakimov, Augusto Sakai, Justin Willis, who are all only of those only Abdurakimov and Harris and Sakai are ranked and at the low end of ranked, but they're decent enough. The others are decent enough. So, and, and he got cut. I mean, you go uh, two and five in the UFC, you're going to get cut, even at heavyweight. So he went to Island Fights in Bare Knuckle FC, where he, he had some interesting fights. He lost to Joey Beltran, who I think right now is the heavyweight champion in BKFC. And um, with those fights, he earned his way, he earned his shot back into the UFC when uh, COVID shut everything down. I think it was the second card back was Smith versus Teixeira, and he was on that card as the opener with Ike Villanueva. And he looked totally different than he looked in his previous UFC run back from 2016 to 2018. This guy came out there. He he was clean. He was defensively responsible. You know, when he throws, he throws a really nice check left hook now, and when he does, he keeps his right hand at his face. Um, uh, he also had added on good leg kicks to his arsenal. He was able to beat up Ike Villanueva's calf for the whole first round, and he had him hurt at the end of the first round. Bell kind of saved Ike, and then the second round he comes out, knocks him out in the first uh, minute of the second round. Um, he's in, and he's not one of these chubbed-up heavyweights. He's a legit heavyweight. He's 6'4". Right. Like, yeah, he, he has a normal amount of body fat, you know? Yeah, he, he's he's got a football player build, you know, like a linebacker. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a legit heavyweight. I believe that the commentary team, even all the fights that I watched, they even mentioned that he was a linebacker in college. Um, Makes sense. There also, one thing I have to mention is they, his nickname is um, the Vanilla Gorilla. I they, like they missed it. out on a really good. They, but they, it is, it's decent. But they missed out on a really good opportunity to name him the Tank because his last name is Sherman. I just thought of wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, um, that's that's better. We're gonna send that to him. 
This might be my one. Remember I told you when we started that I want to have a segment in the future called uh, Walking the Dog or Dog Will Hunt or something where you yeah. pick a dog? This may be the one. He's the dog in this fight, but I think... Yeah, so there there is a, a very good chance that he could upset Arlovsky, but I, I don't... It's just not a large enough sample size of him back in the UFC against good competition. I mean, I don't know if it's not even good like, uh, competition, really. So bet, bet online, I, I would like bet online to, to lay. Bet online even has him at minus one hundred five now. He really? Opened, yeah, okay, he, he was like plus one twenty. Yeah, earlier. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, plus one twenty. It was a thing. Something I was considering. Now it, it's we just don't know enough. It's it's a true coin toss as far as most you know, places right now. Most places have him at plus one hundred, plus one hundred five, right around there. But yeah. the, the line the line at bet online moved a lot. He opened at 110, went up to, uh, like, plus 150, and now he's down to minus 105. Yeah, that, it's definitely interesting. I mean, it, I think people are just seeing Arlosky on the decline, Sherman potentially on the rise, but in my opinion, we don't know enough about Sherman, and especially maybe if I, I at plus 150, probably would have taken that as a two-coin toss. Now it's not bettable, in my opinion. Oh. Well, Should I'm gonna, be, I mean, in relative the, to the in rest the future, of the card, in the future, I'm gonna, in the future, I'm gonna force you to take a dog. So get prepared. I will. <laughs> but if this were, if I had to pick one tonight, that would be my dog. All right. All right. So let's see. Um, we're up to. Uh, oh, the co. Is this, yeah, this is the no, co. No, no, no. We we missed Luis Pena. Oh, we did miss Pena and Munoz. Yeah, but so yeah, I'm. I don't have much for this one because Munoz is relatively new. His only uh, he had one fight on DWCS in 2018, which was a unanimous decision. Dana hates decisions, so he didn't sign him. And then he lost last year to Nazrat Hakprast, who's one of those guys that's on the bubble of top 15 at lightweight. Probably, definitely a top 20 guy. Um, not enough to see. But I think Luis Pena is overrated because of a his reach and height. He's six foot three, which is obviously super tall for a lightweight. And then because of his nickname, the UFC are trying to push him because he's the violent Bob Ross. He's a figure that you know if you can get oh, this guy right, yeah. who looks like kind of like Bob Ross, calls himself violent Bob Ross. And, and, and he, he does have a violent fighting style, but he's not doing that well. He's lost to. He's uh, three and three so far in the UFC, excluding his stint on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, he lost to Kamal Worthy, which not a bad loss, but then lost to Matt Frivola before uh, two fights before that, which isn't great. Now the way Matt's looking, I mean, he got um, just embarrassed his last time out there, uh, and. Uh, but he beat Matt Wyman, who's another guy that's on the decline. It's just I I, I kind of favor Pena in this, but there's not enough on Munoz to really say for sure. And I think Pena's overrated and overvalued in a small betting market because of small details like his size, which he doesn't use to his full advantage, right. and his nickname. And the UFC obviously trying to push him, giving him matchups like Matt Wyman. So this is. Give- this is a learning fight for us. We want to see yeah, what happens here. Is. Yeah, we don't I, want to I'm waste interested. any money. I'm interested in Munoz because he fought 
well against Hawk, well enough against Hawk Frost, and Hawk Frost is, is a really tough fight for anyone at lightweight. But yeah, too much, too much unknowns before that. He was fighting in XKO and Trinity Kings right. well, organizations. That's impossible to get tape on. Dude, this is this is a betting show. It's okay to say don't bet on this. Yeah. We're trying to make I mean, money. You know, what oftentimes I mean? the best bet is no bet at right. all. Don't bet on this. So That's yeah, fine. now on to the co-main, which is close, a good one. Close versus Stevens, and I've interviewed Jeremy Stevens before. I like him. You he's have. A, yeah, he's a very funny guy, dude. I like him. <laughs> it's unfortunate for him that he's ma- mainly known for Conor McGregor saying, "Who the fuck is that guy?" Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, Jeremy Stevens is. I like him because he's game. He will always go out there and. Bang! He he will he hits hard and he will get hit hard. Unfortunately for him, he's on a four fight losing streak with a no contest mixed in there. But the good news for him is those four fights are four of the toughest fights you can get at featherweight. First uh, in 2018, Jose Aldo knocked him out in round one, body punched the ground and pound. Then to beat Magomed Sharipov, uh, unanimous decision. Then the no contest against Yair Rodriguez. Unfortunate eye gouge 15 seconds into the fight. They rematched, obviously, and Yair um, beat him by unanimous decision. And then uh, last year on UFC 249, Calvin Cater <clears throat> knocked him out in round two. So it's a tough run for him. But before that, he was doing good. I mean, he beat Josh Emmett, who's one of the more underrated guys at featherweight now. Beat Duho Choi, who fought in one of my favorite fights ever, Choi versus Swanson. He beat uh, Gilbert Melendez, who was immediately on the downturn. And you just keep going down his record. It's tough competition. Moicano, Edgar, Barrao, Holloway, Oliveira, Swanson, Elkins. The thing is, too, and like I said, I I like Jeremy Stevens, but he's also moving up. This is going to be a fight at lightweight. It's not going to be a fight at With size parity, I would definitely favor Stevens because if you look at Close's last fight, um, it's it's an infamous one because he rocked. He really rocked Benil Dariush, who's a great fighter. And... um, but Benil came back, and it was a great comeback. Came back, stormed across the ring, knocked him out with an overhand left, and it's the famous one of the meme with Joe Rogan, John Anik, and DC like going oh and falling all over each other. Um, so he's most known for that. But he he had Benil seriously hurt, and he got too overexcited, and that's a problem against someone like Jeremy Stevens, who has he's up there. In the top five of most fights in UFC history, he's I think he's coming into his 35th walk into the octagon. Yeah. Um, and although his record is, I think it's pretty even, like 16 and 17 uh, or 17 and 17 in, in the UFC only. He's right, in the UFC, overall. right, yeah. So it's pretty even, but like I said, it's against top, top level competition. Yeah, like, he, these he, are the toughest he came guys in, in the fight. He came in in the UFC when a... I mean, uh, 2007, there, right. Where, when there was a lot of legends in that weight class, you know what I mean? He fought tough yeah. guys all the time. Yeah. And, and, and he still is today. I mean, and so he's, he's moving up. Um, it's interesting. Um, uh, close, close is 21 at lightweight and Stevens is 21 at featherweight. So <laughs> besides the size disparity, you know what I mean? They're, yeah, they're fairly equal in how they're considered, how they're uh, regarded. So, 
and on this one, the odds are moving closer to evens. Uh, originally, yes, Stevens were like yeah. minus one forty, and close it was like a plus one twenty. Um, which Klausen might have been a live dog at that. Like he has good enough wrestling. Stevens has the experience to stuff him, but close has been able to get wins against guys like Bobby Green, Linda Venata, and Mark Diakasi with his wrestling mixed in with. He has the willingness, just like Jeremy Stevens, to go out there and strike. He just gets a little too reckless with it, I feel, at times, which is how he lost to Darvish. The only other loss on his record is to David Tamor, who is criminally underrated. This guy deserves so much more respect than he gets. Um, he's um, one of those guys on the bubble, like top 25 at lightweight and has been perennially. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 there may have been value on Closa early. And I say may because of the size difference. It, it's a diff, it's a different game when you step up weight class. The guys will hit harder, yeah. and but Jeremy Stevens hits plenty hard himself. It's it's just it, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, it's a rare co-main event where no one's ranked. I mean, not many people on this card outside of the main event are ranked. If anybody, yeah, I don't think anyone on this card outside no, of the main no event is one's actually in the top ranked. Trend, no. Um. But they they should stand and bang, and it'll be fun. And that's that. There's it's a it's another coin toss. I I think Jeremy Stevens has more skill by a tiny bit, and Closa has but Closa has more size and potentially more power. We'll see how and, Jeremy Stevens' power translates uh, to lightweight. And the money, the Vegas money is on Stevens. You know, so yeah. But it's very close. You're right. It's yeah. like a one twenty, one hundred, one twenty six, one oh six. Yeah, shit like that. So right. now we can get to the real good, good, main great event. stuff. <clears throat> so I have the, so much notes for this. So right. The, uh, what do they call them? The Abo Bogan <laughs> versus <laughs> the Doughboy. <laughs> Doughboy Gaslam, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so Gaslam obviously coming off. After the Adesanya fight, he went on a rough streak. I mean, it, it's not that – when you look at it, it's not as bad as it seems, a three-fight losing streak after being in title contention. Lost Adesanya in a fight of the year. Split decision lost to Darren Till. And then a uh, heel hook by Jack Hermanson, which I won't say fluke because Hermanson's a good grappler. But I think Gaslam is a better fighter than Hermanson. And then he beat Ian Heinish as he should. One of the interesting things about the Heinish fight is he went back to his base – of wrestling, he took Heinish down. Uh, I think six out of fourteen times is the stat, which is something he hasn't done for a while. Um, but he, he he could try that against Robert, the Reaper Whitaker, who's the clear second best fighter at middleweight after Adesanya. But Whitaker's takedown defense is eighty four percent. The only guy to really have success taking him down was Yoel Romero in their two fights. And I say success, UL got him down seven times out of 28 attempts. Right. So still, and, and that's UL Romero. I mean, Olympic wrestler, like, just physical freak of nature. Seven yeah, out of the best 28 grappler, times. The best grappler in that division in a long time. Yeah. How, like, how do you, I mean, he doesn't use it, but when he does use it, obviously super effective. I mean, Gaslam is a good wrestler in his own right, but I don't think a chubbed up middleweight is going to be able to take Whitaker down where UL wasn't able to take and hold him down. Um, so this is going to play out as a striking matchup. <clears throat> um, it, something interesting about Whitaker is he does similar things to Izzy, like that all high-level kickboxers do, using half stamps to feint, 
forward and read the opponent's reactions while maintaining distance or closing distance if he wants with those half steps. Um, he sets things up really well with his jab, as everyone should. I mean, the jab is what you build everything off of. Yeah, I um, think, I think if, knock- you're, if you're talking boxing, he's... Uh, just boxing, not everything else, kickboxing or, you know, Muay Thai or anything. Just boxing, Whitaker has supreme skills. He's very, very good. There's not too many just uh, he, pure he boxing. Is. Um, he and But with that jab, like, uh, he set up the knockdown that for on Jacare Souza a couple years back that earned him uh, his uh, interim title shot against you all, Romero. In, in general, just uh, punches that aren't fully committed. Uh, like uh, jabs that they count on the strike attempts, but they're not really intended to hurt you. They're just probing the guard. Yeah. He, so he, he he did that. He probed the Jacare's guard with a left hook. I mean, kind of like a, somewhere between the jab and a left hook, really. Peel away his guard, then a right uppercut that just knocked Jacare down, uh, knocked Jacare back. Um, then he kept pumping that jab to hurt Jacare Sosa to his power side and ran him right onto a high kick. It's just beautiful way he, to control your opponent's direction and move him on to something. He's got um, he's got five or six really like high-level punches that he throws well. And I'm I'm piggybacking on what you're saying is you know like a he's got short hooks, he's got a check hook, he's got the jab, he's got the straight. You know what I mean? He's got and all those punches are clean. He throws them really well and knows when to throw them. Yeah. And he <clears throat> Um, but so uh, back to that Jacare fight, he, he would keep, kept him, he, even then after the, the knockdown, he would keep him going to the, the right. Um, and so then later you saw a real technical savvy from him when he threw that same left hook that peeled away Jacare's guard and left him open for the right uppercut. So Jacare blocks the left hook, then moves to block the right uppercut, but it never comes as because Rob uh, expected him to expect the uppercut and hit a <clears throat> power right, a uh, strong right hook, then into right. a hide kick, and then would eventually ground and pound KO him. Um, he does another thing that Izzy does, which is stand with his, leans his head forward, you know, forward of his actual stance to bait people to come at his head. Yeah. Where he can just draw back into and you his get, stance. Yeah. And that's, and that's counter. a, that's a freak ability there too. You gotta be, you gotta be fast enough to put that yeah. out there and pull it back in time. Not everyone exactly. can do it. Spider it's a real con is yeah. just showing your head when the body is the more effective target. Right. Like spider Silva was probably the best ever yeah. at it. He could, he could give you all kinds of openings just to get you to swing so he could counter. Yeah. And um, Whitaker has that. And, this will sound a little racist. Well, it's not even racist because he's not white, but I was going to say not too many white guys really have that kind of speed. <laughs> white men can't dance. Well, um, no, we can't jump. We can dance a little bit. <laughs> <I think. laughs> but, I mean, really, not, that's... Not like that's, Silva in the ring. Right. That's like some serious twitch muscle movement. You know what I mean? And Yeah. And, and he's and, able to keep his hands low while doing it. Right. And you have to have and, supreme confidence in that. And he should have supreme confidence because he's the second best striker in the division after Adesanya. And and the gap isn't as large as people think because of that knockout. I mean, he came into the Adesanya fight with a bad game plan. He saw what Gaslam did against Adesanya, but Gas, which is just go forward. But Gaslam is unique in his insane fucking chin. Yeah. Like, I showed you this, or, or we watched it together, and then I, I showed you the GIF af- again afterwards, 
of Ian Heinish throwing a flying knee that lands flush under Kelvin's chin, snaps Kelvin's head back, and Kelvin just keeps coming forward, grabs onto the single leg, takes him down like he didn't just get hit with the mother of all flying knees. Like the flying, it was like the flying knee that knocked Frankie Edgar out by Corey Sandhagen, except from a, a freaking middleweight, not from a, a bantamweight. Um, it, he so Kelvin has an insane chin. He but he's not going to outpoint Whitaker is no. the problem. I mean, you see when he goes the distance with someone like Adesanya, he, it was a competitive fight, but Adesanya got the better of him, especially dropping him. Well, it was either two or three times in that last round um, to, 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 to win the decision in the interim belt, which he would then later turn into the undisputed belt, obviously. So Kelvin, but Kelvin does have power. I mean, he has the power, like he knocked out Bisping granted that was only three weeks after Bisping was concussed from GSP. But but he has serious power, <clears throat> it, it, even for a chubbed up welterweight, which I'll continually refer to him as. Right, that, that's but what I he is. He's not he, a true middleweight. He does have the power to knock out Whit- Whitaker if he kept some, catches him clean, but I don't think Maybe he if, will yes. because Whitaker exactly. is the better boxer. And there's a, I think people see it sometimes, but they don't get how much of an advantage is when you're much faster like Whitaker, where he can drop his hands to his waist. Because Gastelum can't look at Whitaker's head and his hands at the same time, and it's much harder to pick up where the punches are coming from. You got to look at yeah. one or the other. Yeah, and Kel- so Kelvin will just come in, come in hard and fast because he's so confident in his chin as he should be. I-, I, I'll always say this: that Kelvin has one of the most underappreciated chins in MMA. Like it's up there with with Tony and people like that, Tony and Max and John Jones. It's, out- it's really up there. But so he, he can come in, but Rob has the tools to keep him off, like that jab I mentioned, uh, like front kicks, he kicks to the to the body. Um, he it, like yeah, he could get into danger because Kelvin's just a freaking tank that goes forward. But it's hard to see Kelvin doing better than Darren Till or Jared Cannonier did in in uh, Whitaker's last two fights because he, he overall he has less of a toolbox. I mean, he has more wrestling than them, but like I said, Whitaker. 84% takedown defense. Gastelum, I think, has... Shoot, I lost the stats, but it, it's like in the 30s of takedown accuracy. Um, right, there you go. That he, says it right there. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, even if he Rob does get taken down, he should be able to fight his way back to the feed like he did against UL Romero. Um, in his, yeah, like Kelvin, even in his last fight, he landed 6-14 for 14 against Heinish to win, but... And so... But that's Ian Heinish, the 12th ranked, I think, middleweight in the world. Rob Whitaker is the best middleweight in the world, not named Israel Adesanya. Yeah, without um, a doubt. And, but so we look, we have to take this to the odds, of course. Whitaker is a minus 250 favorite, which I think is pretty fairly priced. I could see it being like 275, 300 even for Whitaker. Because he, I mean, he really, Darren Till hurt him once in that fight in the first round, but Whitaker came back in and won the rest of the yeah, fight convincingly. He beat Jared Cannonier, who is... It, like, there's three middleweights that separate themselves from the rest, other than Adesanya, and that's Cannonier, Costa, and Whitaker. And he showed that he's on another level than Cannonier. I mean, even even though, yeah, he broke Cannonier's forearm with the high kick, he's, he still just looked on another level. Yeah. The, and, just, and still breaking a guy's forearm with the high kick. The odds on Whitaker, like credited. a... Like at five dimes, uh, they're at two fifty, but um, yeah. 
Who, who's the one? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sports Entertainment has them at negative 305. And DraftKings yeah. has them at negative 286. So, I mean, that's a strong bet. I know you you don't like to go, you know what I mean? That's kind of a, so, a big bet. But 250 might be a good grab on this fight, don't you think? It might be, but I think there's a better way to look at it, um, which is through a prop, another prop. Um, like we said, like I said, uh, Gaslam has an iron chin. Um, and Whitaker has been fighting safer as of late. Like, he, like he's been fighting kind of like he doesn't want to get injured. Uh, fighting safer against Tillin Cannoneer. But effectively, you know, he hasn't been hunting super hard for the knockout, but he hasn't been just resting on his laurels either. He's just been fighting a bit safer, a bit more technical rather than brawling. Um, so, yeah, the applied probability for a minus 250 odds bet is 71%. I'd put, I'd probably put Whitaker at about 75% chance to win this one. So that's like a 4% edge. Not enough for me, but. If we go down here into props, Whitaker by decision at five dimes is plus 150, which I absolutely love. Oh, yeah. I'll take that in a second. Because, yeah, because Whitaker is on a pretty strong decision streak. I mean, his last knockout was 2017 against Souza. Two straight decisions versus Romero. Then lost Adesanya. Two straight decisions versus Tillin Cannonier. These are guys that are above or on the level of Gastelum, but none of them except for UL have the chin of Gastelum. So I, I, I really see uh, Whitaker outpointing Gastelum to a decision. Probably it could be a 50-45, 49-46. I mean, the, the, the chance Gastelum wins by knockout, which would probably be... I'm more worried about that, honestly, than I'm worried about... Uh, anything else like I'm not that worried about Gastelum being knocked out because he's never been knocked out he's only been finished by submission and Robert Whitaker has never attempted a submission in his UFC career because he's a kickboxer so right but Gastelum, yeah, play. Gastelum only has and, two rounds to knock him out after that he's going to be gassed and his power is going to be gone yeah, he's he's just gonna bull forward, and Whitaker has the tools to keep him off. That's him a great play. You said uh, one hundred and fifty Whitaker by yeah, decision, plus, plus one hundred and fifty for Robert Whitaker by decision. Um, and I'm taking that for the only two unit play of this card. All right, so so that's two units to win three units at all right. plus one hundred and fifty. So you got your notes handy. Um, we were discussing it because this is the new podcast, people, but um. Run down your plays. I'm not even, I don't even, you mentioned your parlays. There's nothing on this fight I, or on this card. I like, I wanted to do all five fight parlays, but there's, there's not five fights that I would parlay and tell people to bet money on here. So I'm going to forego that section this week. Uh, but don't be a pussy. Don't be a pussy parlay. I'll throw one out there just for fun. All right, all right, um, I'll do it too. We'll do it. Fuck it. All right. Um, Robert Whitaker, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, um, Austin Hubbard, Lupina Godinez, and Tracy Cortez. All right. All pretty big favorites, but it's a pretty shit card. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Godinez as well. And I'm going to mm-hmm. go with uh, 
I'm going to go with Whitaker. There's two. I'm going to go with uh, Sherman. Okay. Underdog. Yep. Cortez. Did I say that? Nah. All right. Gardenas, Cortez, Sherman. Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker. And uh, Jeremy Stevens. Okay. There you go. There's the Don't Be a Pussy Parlay. All right, but Val, run down, run down your money bets so we can mark them at the end. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the bets are Al Hassan by knockout for one unit at minus one thirty-five. Cortez plus Godinez parlay for one unit at minus one sixteen. Fabinski uh, half unit at minus one thirty, and Whitaker by decision prop bet at plus one fifty for two units. Four plays on this card. Smaller than our six play last card where we wagered. What do we wager? We wagered eight and a half units. This card we're risking four and a half. But this is a terrible card. It um, is. And but I don't want to blame the UFC for that or whatever. These are the fights available, and the whole point of this show is to try and show you yeah. how to make money on the fights that are available. So these are the recommendations we give. We're going to, in the future, we will have a walking the dog section where each of us has to pick a dog as well. No matter what. (laughs) Yeah. Just to say about the the ones that are available, you saying these are the fights that are available, it does suck because probably the second best fight on this card got canceled because of COVID. Bill Algio versus Ricardo Ramos. They were at even odds and... I love Bill Aljo. He got in a war with uh, Ricky Lamas last year um, on, on, in his UFC debut went went the distance and almost won against a former title challenger and I was really excited for this fight but it fell through because of COVID. Hopefully we get to see him again in the future. And and we'll be, we'll be watching this whole card on the Fag Fighting channel and uh I might have to cut that out because I don't want... Well, it's a podcast. I can say fact yeah, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe put put the Discord in, in your Twitter bio and anyone who wants it can right. check it out. We'll be watching, we'll be watching all, these, all these fights together. And some of these fights we wouldn't bet on today. We may see something from one of the fighters. And next time we'll have something else to say about yep. it. We're, uh, we're not... We could give opinions on every fight, but what we're saying now is trying to make you money. Um. So, yeah, just to finish off the show, we have something different to talk about, don't we? Oh, yes, you- we do. Here we go. This is a big <laughs> one. This is a big one. Jake Paul versus Ben Askren. What do you think about this? I got my opinion. What do you think? I think that I was really lucky to bet Jake Paul for two units last week at minus 120 because the odds have shot up to like my back up to minus 200. Um, I also think I hate Jake Paul and I will not be sad if I lose this bet because I will be rooting for Ben Askren all the way. Um, I also think Ben Askren has a pretty good chin and this could go the full eight round decision, which at plus 500 for Jake Paul to win by decision, that's a decent bet too. I think if we're just talking betting, right. I think that, uh, without a doubt, Jake Paul is the better boxer. Yeah. Without a doubt. And this is a boxing match. And I also think Jake Paul, I've watched some of his fights, 
And he doesn't have, like, wow knockout power, but he does have heavy hands when he throws his punches. He uses yeah. he uses his hips. You know what I mean? He puts some weight behind him. Yeah. Um, ben Askren has a really strong chin. I don't know if it, he'll get knocked out, but I would bet Jake Paul all day on this. He just, yeah, I mean, Ben's path to victory is really tough. He has to make it dirty and fight dirty in the clinch, but Jake Paul knows how to get out of clinch situations, which this is something Jack Slack pointed out. Uh, by It's a thing that a lot of boxers don't do is you put your head down in your opponent's chest and they can't effectively clinch you up and just get the referee to pull you guys apart. Instead, you put him down, you can hammer some body shots and and stay in there and do dirty boxing. But Ben could do a little clinch work. In, there is wrestling in boxing. I mean, it plays oh, a factor. Yeah, yeah. You lean on your opponent, grind them in the clinch to tire them out. Yeah, and there's we weight haven't management seen Jake Paul's, and stuff, yes. We haven't seen Jake's cardio tested. Like, it could be against the... I mean, so it was the, the last time when he fought Nate Robinson. People were like, well, Nate Robinson's an athlete. Ben, uh, Jake Paul isn't really an athlete. It's the same this time, except for... Ben Askren's a combat athlete. Jake Paul isn't a, even an athlete. He has shown boxing chops, and, and Ben Askren has some of the worst striking that anyone could have and still be a champion in a major uh, right. MMA organization. That's Askren's big um, – his big advantage is cardio. If he don't get yeah. If he don't get slapped early as they go into the deeper rounds, I mean, because I think – my personal opinion is like uh, fighting a five-round MMA fight takes more cardio than damn near anything besides running a marathon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, even at Ben Askren's old, he had a hip repl- – er, he retired due to ha- – was going to have a hip replacement. Maybe he didn't have it and he had other surgery. People don't really seem to know exactly what – operation he had but he definitely had an operation on his hip so that'll affect him but i still would say he has better cardio like he he still oh, trains yeah, wrestling yeah. all the time he, i mean he, he he trains uh young kids in wrestling he does stuff for usa wrestling um yeah so then there's one other just fun little thing i want to talk about or, or show as a prop bet which is they have, they have, you know, with stuff like the Super Bowl, they have all kinds of stupid bets, heads or tails for the coin toss, stuff like that. What color will the fireworks be? Shit like that. Right. There's ones on here, like, will Jake Paul come out wearing a mask? None of this stuff stuck out to me except for one. Will it's fighters to touch gloves in the, in the ring before the fight? Yes is like minus 600. No is like plus 400. And I put like half a unit on that. No. Because there uh, is not like a lot of serious bad bad blood here, but no, but it's showmanship. Yeah, showmanship, talking trash and shit, and, and Jake Paul's a prick. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them or both of them don't want to touch gloves. Listen, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think the most likely scenario is is Ben offers to, and Jake says no, fuck you, because he's a little baby. I, yeah, I believe that to be true. That's a good bet. And I have yeah. to say, I am not a Jake Paul fan. I hate all YouTubers. I, I just really do. I hate them all. Because Except they're... Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. <laughs> well, he's you know what I mean, the kind of YouTubers. Yeah, I no, mean. I, I, but really because they're little entitled pricks. But, but I also have to be honest, and I've watched every Jake Paul fight. Yeah. 
And uh, he's he's put in the work. You know what I mean? He knows he yeah. knows how to box. And he does, he does have heavy hands. He throws from his hips. You know, I think uh, Ben's got his hand full. And I would put yeah. my money on Jake Paul. Yeah. I agree. With, I agree with you, and you, I have put you were, Yeah, you were I, smart too. Two, two units at one twenty is a great bet. Yeah, the, the, it was really interesting. The line was like minus two fifty for months when, after it was announced. Then two weeks ago, it went down to like minus one forty. It slowly crept down to minus one twenty into the evens range, and I bet I put those two units on it. And then it, the last three, two, three days, it shot back up to first like minus one eighty, now to minus two hundred, and I'm like, damn. And that, and that made me just realize, like, damn, I should have put more on it. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah I did. I, yeah, I'm going to ride with what what I've got, which is, like, uh, three, I think, three units in total. Because I have two yeah, units like, on that, half you, unit on, which you, I'd love to have half unit on decision. And Nate Robinson wasn't necessarily a good test or whatever, but. Not at all. He had no idea what he was doing in there. Right. But, some idea. but that was, I, I thought it was a good example that people just kind of slept on the fact that, uh. Jake Paul's been, he's, I think part of it is because he is a YouTuber and think people think he's, he's like a soft ass pussy bitch. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm, so he, he took to boxing hard and I, I've watched him fight. He knows what he's doing. He's not a pro, but he's a no. better boxer than you or me or any Joe off for the sure. streets for sure. Yeah. It, it, yeah. All right. We, we we again went longer. Yeah, than we, we went way longer than we have to. I'm we'll gonna, end up yeah, in the future, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll direct it more. But uh, we got this out. It, it took long, even on a terrible card. Yeah, yeah. I need it. I need to, like I talked about our, uh, Sherman for too long and Romanov and this. Yeah, like, we. Fight, I was looking forward to, but not betting on. I talked about for. I'm gonna more cut this I, out, so this is just you and I talking. But yeah, we talked about some fights we weren't but, gonna bet too long. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some pointless well, fights, but we need to have an outro though. So yeah, I don't know. My, my bad. I, we said that, cut that out, and then yeah, an I'll outro. cut it out. We gotta. I gotta figure out an outro. Okay, but we'll have one. All right. You right. got any ideas? Um. Well, um, here let me end, let me end the recording and let me end the recording and we can go to another channel on the Discord. All right, I need I'm, I need to get some. Uh, I need to take my meds for the night, so I'll be right back and I'll meet you in whatever channel you're in. All right, cool. All right, sweet. Uh-huh.